was the craziest tradition that you were ever asked to participate in? Or the, maybe um, you were traveling somewhere in the world. Maybe when you joined your partner's family or your, your spouse's family, they do some traditions on holidays that are just completely like something you've never experienced before. For me, um, I'd probably have to go back to 1991, 26 or so years ago, when some friends and I were living in a small village in the Alps of Austria called Schladming. And we got to celebrate Christmas Schladming style. Now, I actually found a video of Schladming's Christmas celebration from 2017. So just a few months ago. And I want to show you just a short clip uh, from the video because um, I think you will agree that in Schladming, they celebrate Christmas a little bit differently than you and I are used to. So here it is. This is how they celebrate Christmas in Schladming. Now, the demons that you see uh, parading across the screen, um, these are called Krampus. The whole celebration is called Krampusnacht, the night of the Krampus. And basically what happens on December 5th is that all the men in Schladming head to the pubs dressed as demons at about 11 o'clock in the morning, and they pretty well drink schnapps uh, all day until dusk. Once the sun goes down, they come out of the pubs and start terrorizing the entire village. Now, in the video, um, this was a very controlled environment. There was a parade route and there were barricades. None of that existed in 1991. In 1991, these guys would burst out of the bars and just start chasing men, women, children through the village with these sticks and switches, whipping them across the back, across the legs, making people bleed like... The amount of bleeding that goes on at our house at Christmas is pretty well at a minimum. Uh, and I remember being a part of this Christmas celebration and thinking, what on earth is happening right now? Like being terrified, like running through the village, trying to stay away from the big guys who were going to beat you with sticks if they got close. It was very uh, disconcerting as an experience. We, we figured out later that the Krampus were essentially the sidekicks of St. Nicholas. See, they would do this until midnight. And then St. Nicholas would ride into town on his sleigh and, he, and they would all go away and he would start giving gifts to children. What we learned was that St. Nicholas in that part of Austria is in charge of the nice list. He gives gifts to the good kids. Uh, the Krampus were in charge of the naughty list and their job was literally to whip kids into shape who had been naughty. Like there were legends about the Krampus and about how if you were bad, the Krampus would visit your home on the night of the 5th, stuff you into a basket and take you to hell for a year. Like, I mean, you think the elf on the shelf is intense, right? Like this was not, and I just remember being confused and disoriented and a little bit concerned for my health and well-being and, and just not having any clue what was going on whatsoever. And I wonder sometimes 
how much, maybe in a less creepy, terrifying way, um, how much some of us feel that in this environment. Maybe in particular folks who um, haven't been around the church for their whole life. How some of the things that we do are maybe confusing and weird and hard to figure out and don't really understand why this is happening. And, and for the purpose of our conversation this morning, I'm thinking in particular about when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Communion, uh, Eucharist, the Mass, whatever you are used to calling it. This odd ceremony where, for whatever reason, on some Sundays, we will stop everything to like eat a crouton and drink a shot of grape juice. And, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. In this series called Stories of the Cross... We're studying the stories, the experiences of the people around Jesus on the night before he was arrested and tried and convicted and sentenced to death all the way, you know, on his journey to the cross. This morning, we're looking at the story of Jesus' disciples, his followers who celebrated the very first Lord's Supper with Jesus, which we want to understand first, the first part of the sermon, what is it that Jesus was doing? What was this all about for them? And then what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together? So the story begins in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 17. And it says this, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man And tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now this was the reason, I said this last week, that Jesus and his disciples are in the city of Jerusalem. Is to celebrate the annual national festival of Passover. Passover was the Jewish celebration of this incredible moment 1,500 years before Jesus was born, when in their history, God miraculously intervenes in the history of Israel and rescues the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. If you've read the story, you've watched the Ten Commandments or the Prince of Egypt, um, you know that it was through the leadership of Moses, so the story goes, that God... um, unleashed 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt until until Pharaoh finally relented and he let all the Israelites leave who had been the slaves in the Egyptian economy. And Moses leads them through the Red Sea that God miraculously parts in front of and they walk through on dry land and the sea closes behind them and they're set free. And the story Um, God leads the Israelites to a mountain in the wilderness called Sinai. And there they receive from God his law, which, you know, focuses on the Ten Commandments. These are the kinds of people I want you to be. And if you'll be those people, I will be your God, God says. And they enter into covenant relationship with each other. And then God leads them over the following decades to the promised land, to the land of Israel, where they settle and they become the nation, the people that God created them to be. It was this incredible, dramatic, miraculous founding story that they would celebrate every year, much the way that that we celebrate our national founding story every year. Now, ours is boring. 
right? Around July 1st, we celebrate the fact that uh, in 1867s, a bunch of guys got together and signed a bunch of legal paperwork and became a dominion. It's not a very exciting story. It's more like the American story where you have this really dramatic American revolution where they fight back for their freedom and they throw off the shackles of being oppressed by the British and, and they celebrate on July 4th with passion. They celebrate their freedom, That's what Passover was all about. It was celebrating what God had done to set Israel free from slavery, to make them into a nation of God's people and to help them become the people that God had created them to be. And Jesus says to the disciples, you got to go and make preparations for us to celebrate, which would mean they had to go into the city because the Jewish law said you had to celebrate Passover in the city. And they had to find a room. They had to go to market and get herbs and spices and cheeses and bread and wine and um, all of the things you would need for the meal. And they'd have to go to the temple and have a lamb sacrificed. And then they would take the lamb and they would roast it in the herbs and uh, set up the room and they would throw this massive dinner party. Now, I need to explain to you how Passover works so that we can understand what Jesus is doing. Because Passover wasn't just a dinner party. It was actually a religious ritual. And it was, it was kind of built around four glasses of wine. The whole evening would start with the first glass of wine. Someone would pray a blessing and then they would drink the wine in celebration of the fact that God had rescued Israel from the Egyptians. Then the host would break a piece of, it was called unleavened bread. It was flat bread. It was, it was crispy like a cracker. And he would crack it in half. And he would set it aside and it would kind of become the dessert later in the meal. It was called the bread of affliction. And it reminded Israel about how the lives of their ancestors were broken by this uh, life of slavery. Then they would take a piece of lettuce and they would dip it in a bowl of bitter herbs and eat it. And it would remind them of how bitter the lives of their ancestors were before God rescued them from Egypt. And then one of the children around the table would say, what makes this night different than all other nights? And the host, the father, grandfather around the table would tell the story of how God had rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. And then they would sing a couple of songs of celebration. Then came the second glass of wine and they would pray a blessing and celebrate with this glass, how God had rescued them from slavery. And then they would eat the main meal. After the meal was the third glass of wine. It was called the cup of blessing. And they would celebrate how God led Israel through the Red Sea, um, at which point their freedom was finally accomplished. It was finished. And they would um, then eat the dessert, the bread that had been set aside. They would eat the dessert that would remind them, the bread would remind them that the Messiah is coming to set them free from the oppression of the Romans that they were living under. And then they would drink the fourth glass of wine, 
the one that anticipated and celebrated the fact that one day God's kingdom would come through the Messiah and life for the Jews and life on earth would be transformed. The whole world would be a place where people lived in harmony with God and harmony with themselves and harmony with each other, harmony with the world, harmony with creation itself. And they would drink in anticipation of that day. And then they'd sing a couple more songs of praise and the evening would be done. And here's what they were doing. They were reminding themselves of what God had done for them. But more than that, They were reenacting the event. They were reenacting the day when God intervened miraculously and rescued their ancestors and set them free. The reenactment meant that they could become participants. The story wasn't about what happened 1500 years ago. It was about what God had done for them as individuals and as a community. The symbols would help them enter into the experience, the bread of affliction, the bitter herbs, the wine of celebration. It was all intended to create this um, participation in what God had done for them, where they would remember what God did in the past. They would celebrate what that had meant for them in the present, and they would anticipate what God was doing in the future. Now, The remarkable thing about this Passover that Jesus celebrates with his followers is the way Jesus, as the host of the meal, completely rewrites the entire script in three really profound ways. Matthew 26, 26, it says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Jesus takes the bread of affliction before the meal. He cracks it open. But instead of setting it aside, he gives it to the disciples. And he says, don't wait to eat it. Eat it now. Because this is my body. In other words, what Jesus says is, this is me. Remember that bread was to symbolize the Messiah who would come and rescue Israel and usher in the kingdom of God. And they would set it aside and eat it as dessert because the coming of the Messiah was still something that was going to happen in the future. And Jesus says, no, this is me. I am the one who's been sent by God to usher in God's kingdom on earth. Everything you've seen me do, everything you've heard me teach, every uh, miraculous healing you've witnessed, every time you've seen the, the healing, restoring love of God breaking into your life and into your world, this is what God is doing through me, the Messiah, the one who has been sent to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus says, take and eat. Because it's happening right now. You don't have to wait anymore. When he says eat, he's saying feed on it. Allow it to penetrate to the deepest part of who you are. Allow who I am and what I'm about. Allow my life to strengthen you, to sustain you, to nourish you, to grow you, to help you become what you were created to be. Second thing Jesus does in another 
one of the biographies, it tells us that it was after the meal. Jesus, it says in verse 27, took a cup, the third cup of wine, the cup of blessing, the one that celebrates that God's salvation of his people was finally complete. It says he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Part of what happened when Israel was rescued by God was they were led to the Mount Sinai in the wilderness and God invited them into covenant relationship. Now in the ancient world, to enter into a covenant always required the shedding of blood. And so Moses, who was leading the people, he sacrificed a bunch of animals and they captured the blood. And then Moses read the law of God to the people. And he said, this is, the, this is what God wants you to become. And all the people said, we will live a co- the life that God wants us to live. We promise. And then Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar, which represented God. And he sprinkled it on the people. Uh, And the blood joined the people and their God together in covenant relationship. Jesus gets to the third cup of wine, the one that celebrates the accomplishment, the finishing of God's saving work. And he says, guess what? He doesn't say this directly, but tomorrow I'm going to die on the cross. My blood is going to be poured out for the world. And the blood that gets poured out on the cross by me is going to be responsible to bring people together into covenant relationship with God. He says it is the blood of the covenant that will be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. All the way through the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, the prophets would foretell of a time when God would make a new covenant with Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah says that he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. He says, I am going to make a new covenant. He goes on to say, because the covenant we had, you know, Israel just kept breaking the covenant. And so God says, I'm going to make a new one. And in this new covenant, their hearts are going to be transformed and they're going to know me and they're going to love me and they're going to live lives of loving obedience to me. Because it says in verse 34, because I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Jeremiah says, when the time comes for the new covenant, it'll be a covenant of forgiveness and transformation where the sins of the past are wiped out and the sins that grip our lives in the present, we will be set free from those sins and we will enter into loving, obedient relationship with a God that we know and love. And Jesus says, that's what is happening through my death on the cross. The new covenant, a new relationship with God, a relationship of forgiveness and transformation is being offered to you. The third thing that Jesus does in verse 29, 
He says, so here's the bread, it's my body. Here's the, the wine, it's my blood, it's my death on the cross. Verse 29, he says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus refuses to drink the fourth cup. The fourth cup of wine that looks forward to the day when God's kingdom will come fully, finally, freely, forever and cover the whole earth with the redeeming, restoring, healing love of God. Jesus says, I won't drink the cup because it hasn't happened yet. The work that Jesus begins on the cross through his death and resurrection is a work through his life and death and resurrection is a work that begins the forgiving, transforming, healing, restoring work of God in the world. But Jesus says that won't be finished until the day I return and we eat together the banquet of the kingdom of God in eternity, when God's forgiving, transforming, healing, restoring love will have flooded the entire world. That's the way Jesus transforms the meaning of this ceremony. And then invites us to celebrate it with him. As the church has done, almost the entire church for almost its entire history, every seven days, every time we gather like this, the church has traditionally historically celebrated the Lord's Supper together. So what does that mean then for us when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? I think in celebrating the Lord's Supper, we celebrate three things. The first is this, when we, when we eat the bread, we celebrate the life of Jesus. We celebrate, we give thanksgiving to God for Jesus, who was the love of God incarnate in the world. The one who taught us what the love of God looks like. The one who showed us what the love of God looks like. The one who modeled what the love of God looks like. The one who revealed to us that God's love is never ending for us, the one who gave up everything just by coming to earth in order to be the embodiment of love for us. And Jesus offers us in the bread his life of love. And he says, take it and eat it. Be fed by it. Allow it to penetrate to the deepest part of who you are. Be strengthened by it. Be sustained by it. Be nourished in your spirit by the love that God has for you as embodied by the person of Jesus Christ. Allow that to be something that you feed on and that strengthens the life that you live in the world. Jesus says, Secondly, take the juice. This is my blood. The juice represents the death that Jesus died in our place. The death that Jesus died so that we could experience the forgiveness for who we are, who we've been, what we've done. We could experience the transformation of, 
from the sin that grips our lives, being set free from slavery to sin and invited to become new people in relationship with God, people who know and love God in the depths of our soul and who live lives of loving obedience back to God in the world. That's what we celebrate, number one, what it is that Jesus did for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. But number two, we celebrate what Jesus is doing for us right now in this community. See, the thing about the Passover, Passover was a a national festival celebrated in the national capital on the national holiday by the entire nation. It was not about the story of God's relationship with any individual Israelite. It was the story of God rescuing this community that he was going to fashion into his people, a people who radiate the life of God into the world. It was a community thing. It was celebrated in community, surrounded by friends and family, like Jesus and his followers in this room where they were celebrating together. There was no such thing as celebrating Passover as an individual. It wouldn't have made sense to anybody. You can only participate as part of a community. In celebrating the Last Supper, We're celebrating what God is doing among us in creating this community and embedding us as being a part of it. In celebrating the Lord's Supper together, we claim the identity of Christ that he is manifesting in this community. We recommit not just in covenant, not just to God, but we recovenant to be community together with each other. That's why sometimes the Lord's Supper is called communion, which represents not just a, uh, a statement about our relationship with God, but it's a statement about our relationship with each other. That we are the body of Christ in the world through whom God is continuing to do his saving work in the planet. So we celebrate what God has done through Jesus in his life and death and uh, and resurrection. We celebrate what God is doing through Jesus in this covenant community that we get to be a part of. And we celebrate what God is going to do through Jesus when Jesus returns and the kingdom of God finally comes on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus didn't drink the fourth cup. He knows that the kingdom of God isn't already here. His work has begun. Forgiveness and transformation, healing and restoration is taking root and spreading around the world. But it's not finished. And so as we eat the bread and drink the juice, or as we dip the bread in the juice, We are not just looking back to what Jesus has done, not just celebrating what Jesus is doing, but we look forward. We remember that Jesus is going to return again. And when he does, he is going to usher in the community or the the kingdom of God. That those moments when we experience disharmony in our relationship with God are going to vanish. And we will experience, all of us, harmony, live in harmony with God. Those moments when we experience disharmony with ourselves will be gone. And we will experience harmony with ourselves. 
We will experience harmony with each other. We will experience harmony with the world and harmony with creation itself. The whole world will be flooded with the love of God. And we need that. There's so much sin and death. There's so much pain and brokenness in the world. We need to the hope of remembering that Jesus is going to return and right every wrong, bring justice to every injustice, heal every brokenness and all pain and forgive and remove all sin for all time. We look forward to that. That's what is we're celebrating. What Jesus, what God has done through Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, what he's doing through Jesus now in our community and what he's going to do through Jesus when he returns. So how do we celebrate this well? What does it mean to celebrate the Lord's Supper? I want to say three things about that. Number one, it means that we celebrate it. I keep using that word on purpose. I grew up believing that Um, the Lord's Supper was a somber and serious occasion, a sorrowful occasion that in essence, I was a terrible person. And because I was such a terrible person, Jesus had to die. And so in order to celebrate the Lord's Supper well, I had to kind of reflect on how terrible I am and drudge up all sorts of guilty feelings for all the horrible stuff that I've done so that I I could breathe in myself a sorrow that would you know, kind of plead with Jesus for forgiveness and beg him to change me. That's not what it means to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is a celebration. The Passover was a party of what God had already accomplished. And so is the Lord's Supper. I'm a sinner. There's no doubt. In deeper, uh, more perverse ways than I am even aware of. But that makes the Lord's Supper even more beautiful. Because God so loved me and you and us such as the way we are. He so loved us that he came to bring forgiveness and transformation into our lives. To rescue us from the slavery to the ugliness that still lives in our soul. And that is worth celebrating. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, we are receiving forgiveness and transformation from Jesus himself. I think we overlook this. But you look at the story, Jesus is the one who hosts the meal. Jesus is the one who distributes the bread and the wine. Jesus is the one who prays the blessing. Jesus is the one who gives himself away. And that is no less true in the way that we celebrate together. We encounter Jesus We feed off of Jesus. We receive the gracious love of God through Jesus who is present to us every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so point number one, we celebrate it. It's a party. Second thing I would want to say is that we celebrate it with integrity. In the early church, um, All the church fathers believed that Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 was a verse that was meant to prophesy and describe the Lord's Supper. It says this, um, in every place incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because of my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. And the church fathers would say, you know, why is God's name great among the nations? Because of Jesus. 
because of Jesus. And the offering that the verse talks about is the Lord's Supper. It's an act of worship that we bring to God in thankful celebration. And so they said, if you're going to offer the offering, if you're going to participate in the Lord's Supper, it has to be pure. And there are two ways they meant that. Number one, you as an individual have to participate in the spirit of holiness. There's some traditions of the church where the invitation says, holy things, the bread and the juice, holy things are for holy people. You have to participate as somebody who is eager to live in covenant relationship with God, which is a relationship of loving obedience. You, you don't have to have everything perfect. You don't have everything figured out and squared away. But you have to be somebody who desires to live a life increasingly that reflects the life of Jesus in the world. That's the first individual, personal kind of purity. The second purity or integrity is a relational, communal purity or integrity. The Apostle Paul says... If you want to sin against the Lord's Supper, sin, uh, participate in it as a divisive, conflict-creating person. That, that's how you violate the Lord's Supper. If you participate in it as a factious person, a contentious person, a petty person, if you, as a, as a, a conflict-creating person, if you are inconsiderate, and insensitive to other people's struggles and weaknesses. If you're the kind of person who's uncaring, unkind, and unloving, Paul says, then when you participate, I don't know what you're participating in, but it's not the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a supper of unity. The church fathers used to say, you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper until your relationships are in a state of reconciliation. Jesus once said, if you come to the altar to offer something, and you remember you're fighting with somebody, go clean it up and then come back. You cannot participate in the Lord's Supper if you're living with broken relationships elsewhere. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have it all cleaned up because there's always tension. It means you have to be somebody who is in process of reconciliation in the situations that you know about. Here's the third thing I would say. We celebrate, we celebrate, we celebrate with integrity and we celebrate with hope. That it's an opportunity um, Jesus knows that not all is right with the world, that the kingdom is still coming, that we anticipate the day when Jesus is going to bring it fully and finally and freely and forever. But that's not today. Today, the world is still broken. I'm still a broken person. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper in hope as a place where we can bring our sin, where we can bring our pain and our brokenness and anticipate that by the Holy Spirit, God is going to bring uh, forgiveness and transformation and or healing and restoration into our lives. We come to be forgiven and healed. We come expecting the Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives as we look forward to the day when Jesus returns and makes everything new. So, as you may have expected, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And not just this morning, actually, because historically the church has celebrated it every week. As we go through these stories of the cross, we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper every week together as a community. Not always here. This week, next week, and in three weeks, we'll do it in this room when we're all together. In two weeks and in four weeks, we're going to do it um, 
in our own home environments, with the people we live with and eat with, whether roommates or family or whatever, and one time with our life group. And we're going to give you all the information you need to do that well. But we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper every week from here until Easter. And we're going to celebrate it this morning differently than we've done before. In the spirit of celebrating, we got rid of the silver trays that we've used in the past. Um, they feel kind of formal and whatever. And what we've done instead, we're going to uh, receive the Lord's Supper sitting, you know, in our spot right where we are. Um, but we're going to receive it not from the silver trays with the little individualized wafers and the little shot glasses of juice. We're going to receive it from a party platter, kind of like a chips and salsa thing with the bowl in the middle. We, we've put the bread around the rim. We put the juice in the middle. And here's how it's going to work. This is sort of a reminder that this is something we celebrate. This is good news. This is reason for joy and thanksgiving. So what we're going to do, we're going to, the person beside you is going to hold the tray for you. It's a little heavier than the other ones. We have to be a bit careful with passing an open bowl of juice, but they're going to hold the tray for you. And you're going to take a piece of bread that came from a single loaf that represents Jesus' body that's been broken for us. And you're going to dip your piece of bread in the juice. Just watch your fingers and stuff, please. No one wants, you know, your greasy fingers in the... Just dip it in and sort of make sure the juice is all off of it so you don't make a mess. But dip it in and take it. And then you're going to... As you, you're going to take the tray from the person and you're going to turn and then you're going to serve the person beside you. Now, if you're not going to participate, that's okay. Um, help us along by you know, helping the tray move to the next person who needs it. But we're going to do it that way. And in the spirit of community, as we, because we take this together, as we serve each other, I want you to look each other in the eye. I want you to smile to each other. Say, thank you. Say, here you go. Like, interact with each other. Maybe even, if you're daring enough, say, Jesus gives his life to you as you offer the tray to the next person. We're going to celebrate this together. So if you're here this morning as someone who has accepted in faith the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have reached out to God for the forgiveness and transformation, for the healing and restoration that comes from what Jesus did on the cross. And you're someone who wants to live that out in your life and in your relationships, living a life of love that radiates Jesus to the world in your own character and in the relationships that you're part of. And you are somebody who's anticipating the day when Jesus will return and the kingdom will come and things will be finally done on earth just as they are in heaven. Then I invite you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us and to celebrate the goodness of what God has done in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as the band comes to the stage, as the servers prepare, we just want to thank you for all that you've done. You are a good God who has poured yourself out for us. You've, every good thing we have ever experienced in life is a gift from you. And we want to take none of it for granted. We want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the ways that you have loved us in life. We say thank you for the ways that you have loved us 
in Jesus. The way that you manifested your love through his life and through his death and his resurrection. And we reach out to embrace in faith the forgiveness and transformation, the healing and restoration that comes. And we say thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And now we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit on this celebration, on this community, and on these people. Would you make us the body and blood of Jesus Christ? Would you uh, make the life of Christ shine from our lives in these moments and as we leave this place? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.